You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mary Rensel. She is a neuroimmunologist boarded in integrative medicine from Cleveland, Ohio, and she's here to create some brain wonder. She has a service platform for coaches called BrainFresh to learn brain-based tools meant to enhance coaching. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Tell me a little bit about your story. I know that specialty hasn't shown up in my guest <laughs> so far and, and one that really? I haven't seen also added in with integrative medicine. So tell me how those, oh, those good. combine. Well, I, I remember the day as a medical student when I saw the term psychoneuroimmunology. And I literally remember like, you know, those huge texts you just read in med school, you know, like blah, blah, in the old days when we had books. And I just stopped and I thought, how do those three things go together? Do those three things relate? And, you know, it turns out that really has framed my career, um, psychoneuroimmunology. So what, how do you want to break that down? So it's our emotional health or our psychology um, neurology, of course, is the brain and the neuro- nervous system, which includes many parts, but brain and spinal cord are the main players. Um, you know, and immunology, our immune system, which we're hearing so much about lately with COVID, right? So, um, and I couldn't believe they intersected and I wanted to find a way to live in that intersection. So that's what I did with, um, I became a neurologist and I became a neuroimmunologist and then I got boarded in integrative medicine so that I could just continue to, you know, provide more and more tools for my patients to enhance their life day to day. You know, as a neuroimmunologist, I only tend to see my patients physically, person to person, maybe twice a year or once a year. But there's so many other things we do day to day, right? So I wanted to be able to speak to that as well. That's amazing. And I love that idea of intersectionality. And that word comes up all on its own in the media and social justice movements as well. But I love being able to see how things that were seemingly disparate, very unrelated, come together mm-hmm. and actually complement one another. And I see that now about the tenants, right? We, the fourth tenant is actually bringing the first three all together. And that's really where they had their power. And how do you see those complementing one another, especially that relationship between the nervous system and our immune system? We often think of them as different, right? We don't often relate them in our approach to the body. So tell me a little bit more about that. Right. So I do, I love that term because it does mean that we do have the power to influence one another. All of those three could influence each other. Um, So here we are. So if I, I'm a doctor that treats multiple sclerosis in my day job and um, you know, there's many things that we know that can make autoimmune diseases, what we would call flare or get worse um, or have people, you know, feel new symptoms. And we see that with other autoimmune diseases, but in my world, I mostly um, am kind of, you know, across the 
stethoscope from uh, folks who are living with multiple sclerosis and other autoimmune, neurologic autoimmune diseases. So we know, I mean, I've had patients with a bad boss, you know, have all of a sudden their MRI lights up, their MS lesions uh, are active or they have more of them. I've had people have good stress. So they're busy and they're not able to kind of care for themselves at the same level or they're nervous or their cortisol levels are up for a variety of reasons. Good things like they're moving to a new house they're excited about or they're moving to a new place. And even that sometimes can bring on some symptoms of of their uh, baseline autoimmune disease. So we know they're related. And and that's exciting in that we have that power day to day to intentionally influence them. Um, We can't maybe, you know, we we all have genes that we've been born with and we can't change, but they're maybe some actions we can take each day to influence, which is exciting to me. I think that's so helpful that you can provide, not that we wish the flare for patients, but that you can show them the proof. Because oftentimes we think if stress is the trigger, it means the effect is made up. You know, it's not real. We can see true and tangible, you know, lab results and like you said, imaging results that show that and also identify that the thing causing it actually is probably this exogenous stressor and how we're processing that stress. And when we come from that space, I see patients for pain, you know, and I try to illustrate that for them, you know, that pain can certainly be triggered by things other than just in the physical. And I imagine that integrative medicine perhaps gives you some tools to be able to help them then address those things that are causing those flares or increases in their symptoms. Is that true? Yeah. So, you know, you know, in medicine these days, we only have X amount of time to sit across from the patient and to share tools And we kept trying to make this a big part of our visit, but it would always be kind of the last thing as we're walking out the door. And it, it maybe actually should be the first thing, you know, so we, we, it's, it's where to put it and how to talk about it and what's the best time to talk about it. And thank goodness there's been a movement kind of globally in those that treat uh, the autoimmune disease that I do, which is multiple sclerosis to say, Hey, within a, within six weeks globally, there's this, you know, kind of moon, you know, if you say like a moonshot or, you know, within six weeks of a diagnosis, if you tell someone they have this disease, within six weeks, you need to give them some tools, some wellness tools, which is wonderful, right? So it, it again, it just gives a power back where it is and it will always be with the patients and their families and their environment and their communities to support them on their journeys, you know? So it's not always the pharmaceutical. I mean, I believe me, I, you know, I prescribe pharmaceuticals, et cetera, but there's so many other things we do every day. If you just... Mm-hmm you want to call it wellness or you want to call it integrative medicine or whatever. It's just living. Right. I mean, so it's how we live. Um, And so that's, I, I like to bring that in and we've made some special um, places and visits where we can talk about it in more detail and we've connected with other people in our health system. So again, you know, we have a great psychologist, uh, Dr. Amy Sullivan at, at our center who says to normalize, don't stigmatize. And so we normalize that we talk about this stuff. It's, it's not a secret because a lot of, Folks living with MS, they come to the doctor, they're not sure they should ask about diet or sleep. It's like, is it, should I ask about that? It doesn't seem as important. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to normalize talking about that or stress or just how are you doing? You know, <laughs> how are things going? You know, how's this journey? You didn't ask to be on this road. I mean, we always try to normalize the fact they did not ask to be on this journey. They didn't think they were going on this trip. And, you know, now they have this, you know, we're on their medical team, et cetera, but um, so, so the, where I work is a comprehensive center. So meaning that there's different subspecialties of people with different backgrounds there to help the patients and their families. And I, I love that approach. Um, so I think that also speaks to that intersectionality. 
You know, mm-hmm. we have, we're people and we, just because we're sitting in the doctor's office for 30 minutes twice a year, there's still a lot of other things that we do. Absolutely. And yeah. that idea that, you know, the time with us is minimal compared to the time not with us right. and that we can still acknowledge and support those things they can do, even if we aren't teaching it directly. And I love hearing that you have these resources available to you where the patient could access that, but to have it endorsed by the physician matters, right? For someone to say, yeah, actually this, the diet is a key cornerstone of what you're going to use may motivate them in a different way because it becomes prescriptive, you know, in, in the same way that a medication can. I think that's so key. What I love is I keep processing psychoneuroimmunology. It really is mm-hmm. body, mind, spirit, you know, all wrapped into one in this specialty mm-hmm. really illustratively. And how do you address, or do you see one come to the surface at different times for patients between mind, body, spirit, as they're working through the process of managing life with these diagnoses? Yeah. You know, I think, um, it makes me think about, you know, a parenting book I read and the first page you open up to, it says you can parent to your level of abilities, right? And it's, you know, you can understand these things to the level of your abilities or or if you've ever been exposed to them. So you have any language to even talk about it, right? So, so that's a big word. And even, you know, I need to kind of break it down and think about it in different parts, you know? And so when we have someone who's new and dealing with, like we said, they're on a new journey and they're talking about medicines and, maybe having trouble working or, you know, there's really big life issues. Um, there's kind of changing their identity. They saw themselves as a healthy person. Now they have to go to the doctor regularly. Like, well, how does that change them? Um, so first I think it's just saying like, you know, where we work and the way I practice is, well, we, if you want to say integrative or we focus on wellness, um, you know, we try to think of the whole person and all their parts and um, all their roles in life and that we don't want them to lose any of the roles. Um, so first just, acknowledging, you know, our body, uh, you know, we have a psychological part or emotional part of us and a physical, and we will talk about both um, because it's who we are. We're both. Um, So sometimes that takes a few times for us to say that, to make that okay, that it's a safe place that they can talk about things. Um, We do some evaluations before we sit together so they can answer some questions. Maybe it's a private place for them to answer questions um, so that, you know, it feels a little safer to answer. Like, yeah, I'm kind of struggling or I, re- I want to hear more about this or that. Um, so yeah, we just try to integrate it and weave it in and keep talking about it because it is sometimes it's a new way of looking at things. You know, they didn't really think about that side of theirs because it wasn't a big player. <laughs> now it is, yeah. you know. And creating yeah. that new framework. And I love how you talk about that. And we look at structure and function and that interrelationship and that can be within their own body in their own life and also as they interact with the world i love how you noted that change in identity and it also can impact our relationships you know so if we used to be the one who does all the things and now we have some inhibitions because of our physical capacity how do we adapt to that and kind of restructure our lives so that we still can be our whole self you know i'd like to think about health as this continuum and we're never separate from it and Rather than even looking at disease or dis-ease, looking at simply just different versions of health, you know, less full, robust health. And do you help them with that navigation in their connections, you know, outside of them as well, maybe both medically and personally? Yeah, and I think that's where why I also got into coaching because, as you know, as a, as physicians, we you know we hear a lot of things and we carry emotional burdens of our patients, and we um, we're supposed to you know just kind of you know, support people through this, but emotionally we try to always stay separate. And that's why I got into the coaching. So I learned how to be a coach, uh, mainly two physicians 
And then, um, you know, with brain fresh, I see that there are also, I would like people to know just the amazing powers of the brain, right? So that as a coach, uh, we hear a lot about fear and we hear that the brain has like lower, higher levels, but there's so much more to it, right? And there's ways that we can integrate, again, our living, like our daily experiences to enhance our brain, to optimize our brain um, as a coach. Because I feel like, yes, as caregivers, and healthcare workers, uh, we, you know, we have certain challenges, like so many um, different roles in this world. Um, so I think that's where coaching can also be a tool to also think of that word, psychoneuroimmunology, and to think of, you know, if you, I think lifestyle, it's kind of overused, but it is like living, you know, how do you live and how can you enhance your daily activities to make you a great coach or mm-hmm. to make you somebody as a resource? How can you continue to be a resource to others? Uh, because there are things we can do each day, right, to feed ourselves in all those ways, in psychoneuroimmunology ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look, I, you know, I just always think I wish more people knew that it was a pliable organ that needs some care and um, needs some attention, um, because then we can even make this world a better place, right? If more people are caring for that, I think it would work even better, you know? So, and, and even, so that's why I thought if coaches are already out there helping people, I give them a couple more tools. You know, they can even enhance their coaching further um, mm-hmm. through this this concept of you know the psychoneuroimmunology and and brain optimization. Absolutely, and I love seeing that mm-hmm. thread come through where you can pull from your clinical experience into coaching, and I imagine also cycle it back around and take some of the right. coaching experience back to help right. your patients. And so, what are some of the tools? If you have some key ways that we can support ourselves and perhaps even for the non-coaches listening, just the ways we can coach ourselves, you know, because that's part of the work too, is always starting with ourselves and promoting health that way. What are some key tools that you use? Well, I think, yeah, I think the first thing is, you know, even pre-coaching before you're maybe going to sit with a coach or to sit with a friend to help them, what are you doing yourself to keep, you know, your brain powers optimal Um, So we know, you know, sleep, healthy nutrition, good fats. We know the brain is made by something called myelin. So there's a lot of cholesterol and fats in uh, the linings of the nerves and they need that to work optimally. So when you see a diet online or you, you see, oh, this is the new way you have to eat. You know, I would always kind of check with someone who knows nutrition and make sure you're getting a good amount of healthy fats because the nerves themselves surprisingly are wrapped by a lot of fats. And, and that if we don't have Uh, enough healthy nutrition and enough fats that's not going to be able to kind of rebuild and regrow. Um, The other thing to know about the brain is metabolically, it's very demanding. So it needs a lot of nutrition um, to work, even though it's not very big, it's two or three pounds. Um, Mm -hmm. So out of all of our organs, you know, it's, it's a smaller one, but it, it needs a lot of energy. So some people were talking a lot about fasting and um, how many days should you fast? And, you know, so I, I really want folks to know kind of the science behind what the brain needs to be optimal to even make you someone that could even consider being a coach or consider, you know, just being a caregiver or a good friend, right? Um, so there's a lot of pre-work, you know, before you even start to be a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but sitting across from someone, you know, I look at you and I'm thinking of your emotions and I'm feeding off emotions, even though we're, we're electronically uh, connecting, um, and that is a really important brain function, right? So to, to feed off of each other, and it, it takes special activities for me to look at you and and assume I'm assuming you know certain emotions from you and feeling them myself. So there's a lot of nonverbal communication skills 
that if you're a coach and you're approaching something with a lot of angst or fear or you're exhausted and you haven't eaten in two days and your child's screaming in the background and you're trying to be there, which is sometimes the reality, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But there's things you can do to optimize. So I, I think there a lot of pre-work is really important. And then just the, when you're sitting across from someone, we mirror each other and there's neurons that are connecting us that we don't even really think about. Mm-hmm. And there's so many nonverbals that happens with human connection. Um, which is great because sometimes I do like to just be quiet and relax and, and uh, not talk all day long. Even ask my kids, uh, that happens periodically. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we need to know about how it works, not just fear, but I will say a lot of people will say, okay, well, I want to do something new and it's really scary. Like, it's just because your brain is just taking a minute to kind of assess the situation and you're feeling fear. That's okay. But our brain is made or something called long-term potentiation, which is learning. I mean, we call it learning, right? So it's hard the first time. It gets easier every time we do it. That's learning to us. But that's the brain working better every time we do that activity. And we know that, like riding a bike or seeing a baby walk or, you know, we know. We know it's made for change and we know it's made to learn. Um, so, you know, I have four kids. So I occasionally use this message when they say, mm-hmm. I don't think I should take this AP course. I don't think I should do that, you know. Yeah, oh no, your brain's got you. It's made for this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I'm totally going to use that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Use it. Pull that out. Yep. No, so I yeah. think, you know, there is a fear. There's a sense that we haven't done this before. We pause. We kind of, we freeze, like our feet stop, you know, that, and that's okay. That's, we can acknowledge that's fine, you know, but we have, we have something called synaptic plasticity where our nerves connect and it's, it's going to change every time we do it and make it easier. So it's okay. It's going to be easier and and I think if as coaches we can give them three reasons why it will be easier next time, they may mm-hmm. just take that jump and do something new. You know, yeah. There's a number yeah. of great things in here. I want to come back through them. And one thing you just said. I mean, I'll start there and I'll see if I can hold my memory and go backward through them. <laughs> what I found with a lot of folks when I'm coaching is overwhelm when coaching starts, and many mm-hmm. of us, and myself included, are not in touch with our feelings. And we have a very narrow spectrum. We have a very minimal vocabulary for as much, you know, in the physician world as we've learned this language around physiology and diagnoses. We don't learn a whole lot of feeling words, particularly, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some of the specialties they would. Mm-hmm. And so when they begin to open those floodgates, right, and welcome the feelings, there can be a lot of overwhelm of now what? Like I have all of this to manage. And I think of it like a sensory overload situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we've gone from just being kind of muted. And like you said, we have a certain role and a certain way we're supposed to be as a physician. And then all of a sudden, we have all these feelings available to us, which can be really beautiful and also really scary and many times overwhelming, which we can know is a choice. How do you help navigate that? Or perhaps maybe first, do you notice that as well? And then how, how might you help someone navigate that when all of a sudden there's this inrush you know, of what is actually available to them? Well, the difference between being a coach and being a physician is as a coach, I'm not there to fix, right? I'm not there to change or fix. I will maybe change in the long run, but not, I'm not there to diagnose or fix. Um, so that's comforting, but still not comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. I <laughs> so I think when I learned how to be a coach, I had to unlearn a lot of things that we have to do or we do regularly as a physician. Um, we talked a little bit about medicine that we, we have to move fast and we have to assess, uh, give a name to it and give a solution. And so it, that's, you know, kind of how our day goes typically. Um, and then we feel successful, like, great, you know, we've, we got that person a solution and that person a solution, but as a coach, that's not our job. Right. And so that's the hard thing. 
And that I agree with you that sometimes, you know, there's a lot of feelings in the room and some of the people I've learned from have taught me um, the nice thing is I don't have to fix them, but I have to name them. Um, so it is sometimes, sometimes a change in our vocabulary, right? So, um, someone described it to me and I'm a visual kind of person. So it's just going to be a boulder between you and I, if I see you feeling X emotion, but I don't name it, um, because it will be between you and I, unless I name it and we can't move on. Um, so, and, and one thing I've learned, you know, as a woman, an adult is that I can have opposing emotions at the same time. And I often do. So I can say uh, I'm feeling grateful and angry. I, I'm mad and I'm happy. I, I mean, I can have very opposing emotions and that's okay. They're just kind of floating by. Um, so just naming them. And if I don't have a name for it, I might just say, you know, I'm, I'm just concerned. I, I just need to pause. Um, I want to kind of, like you, you said, maybe unpack or just kind of go there for a little longer. I'm not sure what that feeling is. Mm-hmm. Um or there's something there. Like sometimes you hear in the conversation, there's a lot of weight or people are using very strong words. I never, I only, you know, like really mm-hmm. extreme words. And then I say, there's, a, there's something there. So we have to, I don't really always want to, but you, <laughs> cause you know, there's yeah. a lot of feelings involved, <laughs> but you know, you have to go down that road a little. And sometimes I say to them, I don't know, I'm just feeling a lot about this. Or I thought about it later. I was like, I really, I noticed later I've been thinking about you because I, I had a lot of feelings too. And I noticed you did about this. Let's talk about this more. So sometimes it's not okay. You don't have time or the energy or they may not have, your client may not have the time or energy to unpack it right then. But you might want to say, I'm noticing a a lot of strong words. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that'll open some doors, you know? Yeah. That reflection Um, is really powerful to even say, you know, when you take it out of the moment, if it keeps coming back and then checking with that to bring it forward. One thing I love that you said is that our brain is made for change. And I felt this kind of sigh of relief because so much is changing right now. <laughs> yeah, It's okay. Cause this is what we're designed right. to do. And is there a space, a state where it is too much, you know, too much at once, you know, we think about learning generally and maybe the combination. I remember growing up, you know, I would play music and I would take extra classes and be in sports and that seemed nice, right, to have that variety. But other times when we do get to overload and how do we navigate and manage that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, we have to say, again, we kind of go back to what we talked about with pre-coaching is that we have to think of like the blood flow, the nutrition, uh, all that we're learning about sleep, um, all that we're learning about movement. Um, so if you kind of look at your, your weekly activity levels, your weekly sleep, your weekly connections with humans. And are you taking any time to emotionally uh, process? Um, and that can look different to everybody, you know, so that might be just a journal. I make, you know, I, I try to, I, I do a journal a couple of times a week and just write feelings I feel. And I try to write at least 10 because again, like I'm saying, they're opposing and it doesn't always make sense, but that's what it is. And once I get it out and name it, it has less power. Um, so I think a lot of the pre-coaching work is important um, to get to the optimal state so that you can then be a good coach. So, it, you know, obviously it depends on the person, but I think there's kind of three spheres that you have to be in. Um, you know, there, you have to think about your lifestyle kind of things that we hear about. You have to connect with humans in some safe way these days. And emotionally, you need to process. Um, and sometimes we're very comfortable in one of those spheres, but not all of them. So we know, oh, my opportunity is be a little more active in this, especially during COVID with the stressors. I'm being very intentional about emotionally processing. Um, 
and slowing down sometimes um, so that I can have time to do that. Uh, because like you said, it's not always a comfort zone or it's sometimes just don't have the skills. I just, I never learned how to do it. I, I suddenly have to do it and I don't know how to do it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's where, you know, that's thank goodness. There's psychologists in the world to help uh, give us tools um, and others, counselors, et cetera, to give us tools. Um, we tend to kind of learn our tools, I think, from our family of upbringing. And sometimes there's other ones to learn about as far as stress management tools or emotional processing tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think everyone has to do everything every day, but I think there should be kind of a weekly structure. Uh, so you're active in all those spheres of brain optimization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Triads are always my favorite. And this actually yeah. works because it brings me back to the other point from your original comment. So yeah. <laughs> perfect. Good. So lifestyle, human connection and emotional processing. And that central one I'd like to visit, especially in this time right now, And I wonder, we're eight months in, but we are getting lots of different data from this time of pandemic and lockdowns and physical distancing and the impact of masking. Is there research or is there anecdotally in your practice a significant impact of the way in which we are interacting now? Like you mentioned, we're meeting face-to-face virtually and we can sense, right, how one another might be feeling. And what is, you know, the quality of that? Is it it a good replacement? You know, we have to make do right now. And for me, I've noticed people whom I've met only virtually, it seems totally fine. But when it's a person I've known in person, you know, it does seem like a little bit of a letdown to now only have this means of interaction. So what are you noticing, again, either in the data or just in some informal ways in your practice or personally? Um, Yeah, I finally saw a study that helped uh, it to make sense to me. Um, So I, I agree with you. If I don't know somebody, but I see them virtually, I'm thrilled to see them and to be able to see what I can see. But, you know, like even with my mother-in-law who lives in New Jersey, we finally were like, we're going to in the car. We're going to go see her. We just can't take it. You know, so sit in her yard and see her safely. Um, So I finally saw a researcher who looked into it and said, um, because I couldn't understand why it was more tiring to be sitting at a computer rather than seeing patients, um, you know, face to face and walking down the hall with them and examining them. But instead sitting at my computer, staring at patients all day was more tiring. I just couldn't understand. So one person made sense of it for me. Uh, a researcher was talking about how our brain is striving. It's more active, like, you know, assessing people on the screen. They're looking for cues and it's, it's taking more energy to try to connect. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was more tiring to be on the screen all day or however long rather than in person because the Mm -hmm. cues are easier to see and sense in person. Um, So that made sense to me, you know, because I couldn't understand why it would be, I'm not physically doing more, I'm doing less Mm -hmm. physically, you Mm -hmm. know, but, but uh, you know, brainwave is trying to, you know, we're trying to connect and to figure people out um, in so many ways. And we take in a lot of um, sensory points when we're interacting with someone in person that we don't get over the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made sense to me. Um, and I could see, I, same thing, I think as well, like the people I know it's, it's not the same. I'm grateful mm-hmm. for it. Very grateful for it, but I, it's not mm-hmm. the same, um, Definitely. as seeing them in person. Yeah. Now that's a really helpful point to notice. And I've found that too. And I look at the volume of you know, people I've seen in the day, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, I would like double that when we were in person right? and not feel so energetically depleted and perhaps by using coaching, we can at least take the awareness into that and see mm-hmm. if that can kind of buoy how fatiguing it is if we know, okay, maybe I tell brain, like, you don't have to try so hard. You know, you're not going to get the same input here. So just, just chill out. Right. Right. 
Another point I love that you made, and actually I just had a long conversation about this with a friend yesterday, is about that ability of these feelings that seem totally unrelated to coexist simultaneously. And the two we were talking about yesterday were kind of anger and peace or peaceful, if we're going to describe it in the feeling way. And sometimes we think we got to swap them or we have to get to one or we can't be in them both at the same time. But it was kind of an aha moment. I thought, wait a minute, you know, I can like hold space for peace and be angry about stuff. And a lot of times those who actually support one another. And my 13 year old is learning about the civil rights movement and very much so, right? They, they needed to coexist to make meaningful change. And we're seeing that even more now. How do you offer that to people? How do you kind of hold that container for that coexistence? Well, again, I think it's more that normalizing and discussing it. And um, I, I like, you know, one of my new tools since COVID is to go on YouTube and just find a meditation or find, but there's a great one. It's just fish, kind of koi fish just swimming by. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and one of the meditations suggests, you know, kind of putting a label on the fish and just letting it of your emotions and letting it kind of swim oh, by and just give it yeah. that much power. And it's a great visual for me because... I don't give them any power. I just see them going by and sometimes I see them and sometimes I don't. And they're just swimming through the field, like the screen. Um, so that helps me. I, I, um, yeah. And I think, you know, back to, you know, some of those communication courses we took through coaching um, and saying that you have to name the boulder, but you don't have to fix it. And that's so counterintuitive as a physician because we want to do it. We want to fix, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. And and the other interesting thing is to just give space, you know, to give people room. Um, so when you, when we say, I, you know, as a coaching, we learned, you know, if it looks like you're very angry, I have to stop and give them space. Mm-hmm. And if they don't say anything, that's fine, but I have to give them space or they say, you know, or maybe everything's going to come out because I just kind of allowed and, you know, just open the door. Like, that's okay to talk about. I'm okay to listen to that. Um, so I, I think timing is a big one and um, just normalizing it and giving people some new tools, especially now when emotions are so, uh, what do you want to say? I don't know. They could be so variable. They could be so powerful, they, you know, um, with COVID. It's, mm-hmm. And I think people are, you know, since folks are more stressed, the alert level is higher. So the emotions seem more intense or maybe more wide range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, I think that's a huge part of the coaching that just to normalize and give people space to say it and leave it. It's hard to give people to be quiet, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to give people time to share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder about that both from our efficiency, right? Like no minute wasted in the exam room and also from filling it with advice or recommendations or explanations versus just letting it be, right? That is practice and just culturally we're not very good at it you know we want to fill the silences as quickly Mm -hmm. as we can Mm -hmm. I think that's so helpful and I think what you say also applies so well to parenting and we keep coming up with the mantra in our house like all feelings are welcome here not all actions are welcome right right Right. (laughs) but all feelings are and knowing that we can do different things with the feelings that we have right anger doesn't always have to lead to violence right so knowing we can trust ourselves if we do allow them, you know, to behave in a different way from those feelings. So who should seek you for work with Brain Fresh? You know, how do people find you and what would be a good client for you? Yeah, I just, you know, it's a challenging time. So any coach that would like to just have a few more tools in their toolbox uh, for any of the, you know, the pre-work 
the connection during and then thinking about it even later, how to how to use kind of brain optimization to process, to prepare and process. Um, so yeah, I'm open to any of that. My website is easiest, uh, brainfresh.org. Um, I have some, you know, just kind of introductory sessions so we can kind of chat and see if it would be, uh, a, you know, if that would work for folks. Um, I have a YouTube channel, Dr. Mary Rensel, where I just give uh, some facts and tips um, generally while I'm running or walking. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I get both it. things in. Um, so those are available as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm and Instagram. Are the, are the coaches you work with physicians trained as coaches or anyone trained as a coach? Anyone, yeah, anyone is fine. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think you were, were you sharing your Instagram? Yeah. And Instagram as is, well? is the brain fresh. The yeah. brain fresh. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I love that. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, I'd like to ask you our typical closing question. How do you see yourself for the health of all things? Well, as a neuroimmunologist, I, I love the brain. So I, I want everyone just to kind of wonder a little bit of how it works and what they could do today. Uh, to optimize it, you know, I mean, I have a cell phone. I don't really want to know how it works, but I want to know what I shouldn't do to it or what would really help it work better. Um, so I charge my cell phone every night. So I, I want folks just to kind of know that there's a few things they could do to optimize their brain. It doesn't take too long, you know, um, and it can have amazing outcomes. I love that. You know, brain yeah. wonder, wonder is such mm-hmm. a great word and way to be. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was fantastic and a whole new spin on health. I think so many of us can benefit from. I appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you. Appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.